Hi, I'm Kate from Spotsylvania, Virginia. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's Jesse. I'm sorry to see the sound of young America's Chris Bowman head back to Toronto, Canada next week, but I'm happy to present to you his thesis project of a sort. It's a great interview with the Los Angeles-based indie pop group, The Submarines. Enjoy. It's the sound of young America. My name is Chris Bowman. My guests today are Blake Hazard and John, and possibly the best last name I've heard, Dragonetti. Uh, (laughs) Together they are The Submarines. And they've been doing their best uh, to give all of us hopeless romantics hope, to provide hope for us. Uh, Guys, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank Thank you for having us. So first of all, I wanted to tackle, I guess, something you're used to answering uh, and discussing is how you met and uh, the origins of of the band. Uh, You met in Boston, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, And the relationship sort of moved to, uh, to Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, and then uh, it followed, after, after it followed years, us here. <laughs> it followed you here, right? As relationships do, yes. Yeah. Um, and and then maybe Blake, can you take it from there and just kind of give us a little uh, detail? Yeah, sure. Well, we moved to Los Angeles about four and a half years ago, I guess, and uh, shortly thereafter we broke up, and uh, we um, were living in separate places, working on songs, doing our kind of separate things, and. Um, we actually started to get back together again. And as we did that, um, not sure, chicken or the egg, not really sure which came first, <laughs> right. but we started hearing each other's songs about having broken up and missing each other and all, all of these things. All that, that corny stuff. All yeah. this sort of corny things. And, it's lovely um, stuff. Really. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, so that's so we heard we heard those songs that uh, we were each working on and um, we realized that it all sort of made sense as this document of our of our relationship you know kind of from two different perspectives the same um, the same kind of process and we thought oh what an interesting kind of document and what a cool album to put together and then we wrote a couple more songs together and um, and that and we sort of became the submarines that way. Mm-hmm. We, we we didn't play shows really or anything before we became the band and um, the label that signed us, Network, um, signed us before we played any shows as as the submarines. It really was just this project around, you know, having broken up and got getting back together. I had, I had uh, heard, uh, I read a review and, and someone said that you know, you couldn't possibly have suffered because it was far too happy of a breakup record. Now, to me, I read that and mm. I thought there they couldn't have been listening to the same record because you know there are moments of hope in that record, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, it's a pretty heavy record. It's it is hard sometimes. You have to be in the right headspace because I mean, you know. If if you're not ready to to listen to a hard story, you know it's it's definitely not happy. Interesting. I wonder if maybe that person was. I mean, maybe some people associate like suffering and stuff with the sound of the music. So maybe because I think musically it's not. A, it maybe isn't a very dark record musically. Mm-hmm. Um, that somehow it seems like it 
can't possibly be sad enough. You know? <laughs> but it's, also, it's certainly think, not up tempo, though. Yeah, no, a, no, it's no, not. No. I mean, I think it's kind of silly. But yeah. I don't think there's that. a lot yeah. of sort of the sonic equivalent of like, or the musical equivalent of like the slamming of doors and a lot of anger. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of anger around our experience. So maybe that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't, I mean, I think it's raw emotionally, but I think it's well, a sadness more than, mm-hmm. you know, anything. And yeah, it doesn't sound like Nick Cave or the <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, right. yeah. But, yeah. Well, it didn't suffer enough. Give me a fucking. Uh, you know, and this, is the, this is the problem with reviews. I mean, yeah. I, I, do you yeah. guys read? Especially on iTunes, you know, anyone can write one. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> I understand completely. No, um, I sometimes try not you to do. Yeah. read them. I yeah. mean, I don't know. You know, I've you read people or I've heard people say before that they don't read their own reviews, and that's. I think that's totally untrue. If I see something, I would of course read it's it. Laid out there in front. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, totally. I just try not to. People kind of send you links all the time. You know, so. Well, the, and it's nice, you know. I mean, also, I appreciate the fact that there are people actually listening to the record, and so of course, mm-hmm. I want to hear what yeah. they have to say. But you know, it just takes one little kind of like, oh, and I just think I'll never write a song again, which yeah. lasts about five minutes. But right. it does impact you, and so I try to, I try to yeah, <laughs> to look at as little of it as possible. Yeah, you can kind of tell when you listen to that record that you came to a decision at some point because you can you can hear the, the the songs that you wrote afterwards i think but at what point during the writing uh i mean and how did it actually happen when you just turn to one another and say you know really i mean we're both feeling this same thing so why are we <laughs> apart in the first place how did that happen i don't i i think they were kind of separate things i mean the as far as the the relationship falling back together um i think it was something musically that we realized after the fact you mm-hmm. know um and we just thought it would be a, you know a neat documentation to put this together but um i mean there is sort of an arc in the storyline you know uh, uh, within the album from song to song but we mm-hmm. didn't put it chrono- cro- not, um, what am I trying to say yeah. Yeah, yeah but it isn't i mean even chronologically it doesn't well yeah that would make sense or linear or yeah we yeah. didn't we didn't sort of um sequence the record chronologically because right. it didn't really sound right that way just you know the nature of the songs or the Mm -hmm. production of them or whatever so but you can get into it lyrically and realize yeah there is this arc to it and it does tell a story in kind of a linear way Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's certainly nothing that we planned when we each began (laughs) right right and i heard you describe from the first record to the new record that if the first one was in and down the new one is out and up and i really like the way that sounds yeah, that's i mean true. it sounds think, it yeah. sounds like it makes a lot of sense just listening to both records can you can you sort of take us through the differences between the experience of the first record and the experience of the new record yeah it was such a different process i mean night and day you know mm-hmm. uh, uh well and that sort of figures in too i mean there's like so much more kind of sunshine <laughs> in this new one i think the the process of making the first record was really hard i mean it was very emotionally sort of fraught mm-hmm. and um again like we really didn't know that it was going to amount to this album and this band and I think you know it comes through that the songs are are darker and and a little more difficult. But um, so when we finished that album and we were touring behind it and playing those songs 
all the time and wanting to kind of, you know, here we are back together again, mm-hmm. feeling a little better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, you know, it was a very cathartic experience, yeah. you know, uh, writing, recording and touring with those songs. And we started to feel like we're really not in that place anymore in a way. You know, we really were ready to have a good time. I mean, to just mm-hmm. kind of like celebrate, you know, mm-hmm. life feeling better, which isn't to say it's, you know, an unmitigated happy yeah. time. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's not like it's without its complications and complexities. Um, so yeah. it's on the surface, I think, a, a happier record, but yeah. underneath it, there's still a lot of struggle and we try to be more collaborative about it as well. to talk a bit about the dub influence uh, and uh, you know slight reggae influence as well mm-hmm. um, it was sort of hinted at on the first record and this one there's I'd say at least four tracks that I have noted here like 1940 Xavier maybe and Fernbeard um, mm-hmm. oh, um, which it's mainly the bass line I think is yeah, what I hear yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, we're both huge fans of Augustus Pablo Lee Scratch Perry oh there you go That's, we both have yeah, yeah, really, yeah. yeah we really love but you know, but John really is the production uh, mastermind. Well, where did that uh, that affinity start? Where did that uh, um, appreciation of the art start? I think for me, it started with with the Clash, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in, in in learning about it and listening to it through punk rock, and you know, it's the same way I started listening to jazz, which was after I like was turned on to hip hop. So, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought they just the way they incorporated it or, you know, the way it sort of all merged together was really wonderful. And, um, and I would never think in a million years that I could do, you know, as well of a job and, you know, but I just, I don't know. I think from a producer standpoint, I just love how much playfulness there is in dub. And, you know, um, I just wanted to bring as much of that as we could into, to, you know, our record. And I think it's just, you know, it's something um, that we'll probably always have a little bit of. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we're um, both really drawn to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's it's almost less about the reggae element to dub, and more just about the the attitude of being in the studio and and trying things mm-hmm. and the repetition and. Yeah. No. So I mean, uh, ironically, you know, I grew up in Vermont, and uh, you know, somewhat ironically, it's a. Uh, you know, there's a lot of appreciation for reggae and dub there, and there's a, the Vermont Reggae Festival and stuff. And I really grew up surrounded by a lot of like old school reggae and old school dub, and I I love it. I mm-hmm. really love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit and pretend to be a, an expert on on oh, dub. Yeah, no, I mean, I I'm appreciate it for sure. I appreciate it. I have friends that that like the the form, and all I can identify in dub is a heavily reverbed snare drum and. <laughs> Uh, what is it, a melodica or something? Yeah, sure. Is it a melodica? Yeah, uh-huh. the Augustus yeah. Pablo. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, those two things, if I hear those, I'm like, it's, that's got to be dub. I don't know, I, yeah. that's just the and identifier And the bass line usually is pretty right. uh, yeah, super sure. low the end. Yeah, spring reverb, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's classic. Beautiful stuff.
Now, you are also a band that has sort of enjoyed some success due to exposure through television shows. Um, uh-huh. you've, you've, you know, the, the cover of, uh, was it Little Boxes on Weeds? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, and you, and you also um, more recently are featured in the, the new iPhone commercial. Correct? Yeah, one yeah. Of you yeah. know the um, the little boxes thing actually came about in a really interesting way. Maybe mm-hmm. John could talk about. It. He actually helped score the first season of Wheats. Yeah, Joey Santiago is doing the music for that, and mm-hmm. so I was assisting him and you know working on it. And uh, yeah, so we we had recorded a version for that quite a while before, and just in season two when they had the idea to use different bands. Pretty versions, lucky. yeah. So we kind of had this, you know. Yeah, so yeah. we were really out. lucky really to be cool. included. It was such yeah. cool, like such great company, like Elvis Costello, Definitely. Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the top awesome. of the heap right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, uh, so, what I want to know is, uh, is something I've always been curious about with all these bands. That I mean, it's almost not even monetarily speaking, just the the. The fact that you're chosen, it's like winning the lottery. You know, you're you're like you're <laughs> oh, being chosen by way. Apple, right? I mean, nowadays it's yeah. like you know, there's like that the that, Holy Grail, right? You know, uh, ad placement, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, how has that affected the your career as a band? Uh, well, it just happened. I mean, it's yeah. you know, this oh. is pretty recent, so. Um, it's kind of soon. It kind of remains yeah. to it's be too, seen. Oh, okay. But it was really interesting kind of to peer behind the curtain, you know, and see who's making these decisions. And I guess it really is mostly Steve Jobs who, at the end of the day, you know, decides. But um, the creative team behind the Apple campaign, I mean, it's full of really interesting people. Mm-hmm. You know, the music supervisors, the people who produce the visuals, mm-hmm. they're all like... Yeah, really, really cool, cool. like yeah. intimidatingly cool <laughs> people. <laughs> now, how do? What do you mean by that exactly? Uh, well, we went to play a show uh, over at you know the creative uh, agency. I guess you call it. I don't know if you call it an agency, but the kind of um, you know the creative offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, everyone was just really great, really wonderful. But you know, it's like this really kind of groovy, uh, totally we were just ner- great yeah, we were looking, well dressed, like <laughs> right. you know, yeah. creative group of people, and. Uh, it was fun. I mean, you know, it's just interesting. And I thought, I just felt like we were in, you know, breathing, uh, what is it called? Rarefied air? Oh, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was kind of cool, though. Yeah. It was really cool. No, I feel like we were inside of an iPod as well, which was really interesting. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it looks like? really cool. Yeah, inside. right. Well, I'm, I'm sure they've got design down to a, a science over at indeed, Apple. Indeed, yeah. indeed. I read again. You, you always have to question what you read, of course, sure. online, right, these days. There's an F. Scott uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald connection to your family, uh-huh. is that right? Yeah, my mother's. He's my mother's stepdad. Pa- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mother's mother's parents were F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. So my great grandfather was Scott. Fitzgerald. Now, did you grow up? Were you well aware of this fact when you were growing up? I was aware of it, yeah, and but I didn't really. I don't think I really understood. Um, how um, how well known he was, or what that really meant in a broader 
sense. Um, and also, I mean, my, my mother really didn't um, force feed his books to us at all. So I, I um, actually got to come to them really naturally and, and read them and just get to enjoy them as a, I mean, I feel like a true fan of his writing oh, nice. uh, first and then, you and know, a relative a of his <laughs> yeah. second. Wow, that's, that's pretty <laughs> yeah. great. When we come back, more of Chris Bowman talking with the LA-based indie pop band The Submarines. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is proud to be a sponsor of and a part of Sketchfest Seattle. You can catch our live program Saturday, September 27th at 3 p.m., plus many, many other great sketch comedy shows. It's all online at sketchfest.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. The Sound of Young America's Chris Bowman is talking with the L.A.-based indie pop band The Submarines. I, I wanted to uh, to sort of go back to before uh, even the relationship and your individual starts as musicians. Now, I read that, uh, Blake, your early demos, were they recorded by the late, great Mark Sandman? Is that true? I did do, um, yeah, I did do some, some early demos. demos at Mark's studio and... Uh, he uh, he was really great. He was really generous, wonderful. Yeah, warm I got to say that Morphine is one of the greatest bands. They really yeah, are really cool. fantastic. You know, the last thing that um, Mark Sandman ever said to me was, "We really must socialize more often," which is so <laughs> him. Like yeah. I just so yeah, I, he was a gentleman. He oh, really was great. a gentleman. Yeah, a, a great guy. And his studio actually um, is called High and Dry. It was in his house, and I think they've just sort of moved the studio into Dylan. another space, but still calling it high and dry so a lot of the same guys are keeping that going oh wow yeah and i did also some demos with um paul coldery which mm-hmm. was really fun he did um he worked on a lot of radiohead um mm-hmm. stuff with um sean slade and uh yeah hole and so that that was really cool i definitely had a very um boston-tastic <laughs> beginning and uh, i was really lucky to kind of fall in with a lot of really interesting amazing people in the kind of um, Fort Apache scene which is a studio in Boston Mm -hmm. and out of Fort Apache came like Pixies and uh, you know that was before my time but it still was you know seemed like a a really kind of a blessed you know place cool environment Uh, uh, now your one of your last records is uh, Jack Drag which was like an early uh, I guess project or yeah I guess it was like my first band yeah well you started solo uh, added a couple of members and yeah. then went back to solo. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah just there's, there's home recordings, and then um, we had one record on A and M, and that's mm-hmm. when the band kind of came together around that. And then I did a couple um, a couple albums after that that were just you know in small labels, mostly in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know around the time Blake and I met, and so we did a lot of touring together. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, the, I guess one of the last records I, you put out as Jack Drag, I read was. A little bit Sid Barrett and a little bit Prince Paul. Oh, right on. Yeah, that was, <laughs> cool. and that might even be on your own site. I think is where I saw that. Maybe um, so, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to know is when. Um, I guess it probably started when you started touring, but when you come together and start working as one unit, how does that uh, affect being like discovering yourselves as solo artists and then having to collaborate? Which, you know, most people are starting a band and then go solo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we find. I think the reason this has worked so far is that we managed to find a way that we can. St- it still almost feels like we can each work on stuff in a solo kind of mm-hmm. way. I guess you know we can. I think we. I would hope anyway that um, we each feel that there's a lot of freedom 
to just kind of go in a direction that's just kind of that you're feeling and then it's a an experiment you know to see if it works together in some ways and mm-hmm. that's the exciting part of it um yeah even though this record was more collaborative we still um collaborative for us means like you know <laughs> something <laughs> different maybe than other people who hash things out in the studio we still you know if john maybe gives me some tracks to work on i'll go into my room and <laughs> right, uh, right. you know or walk or whatever be outside and uh you know write lyrics and melody and come back or uh you know mm-hmm. vice versa or, or you know we there were some songs on the record that were just totally formed before we each brought them in as well so Mm -hmm. i think we still try to play each to our own individual strengths and hopefully our sum is our what is it sum is greater our whole is greater than the sum of its parts (laughs) right wow i'm really blowing it with all the expressions today (laughs) they can they can edit those yeah Yeah, exactly Yeah, so you kind of touched on something there. What's it like living and working together? I mean, you know, you don't get to leave the office uh, if you're, especially if you're recording in the shed or garage <laughs> or you know, right. a little hut behind your house. Oh. Um, where do you draw the line, or, or do you? Is it just a, a constant uh, process? Um, it's yeah, it's a constant learning process. It's a challenge sometimes. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I mean, we each need our own space, and we it does seem like we do everything together um, right which is great you know it really is amazing on one hand yeah no it's and then every once in a while we're like wait a second we haven't done anything (laughs) separately in the last month you know yeah yeah um so yeah it's we're we're trying to figure that out you know yeah it's Mm -hmm. like a constant negotiation but also sometimes we'll sit down to dinner and say okay no one's allowed to say anything about the band it's like impossible. for the whole dinner and right. it, yeah it'll be like 10 minutes before it's like oh what about do you want to work on you know whatever yeah something will come up that'll kind of throw us back into it but uh i mean obviously like we're incredibly lucky to get to share a lot of the things that we've done together even before we had a band together touring in each other's projects you know around mm-hmm. europe and the states and getting to travel that way and to actually you know create something together has been Amazing. I mean, I do feel really lucky that we get to do that. Same here. Despite all the drawbacks. (laughs) (laughs) Of which I'm sure there are a few. I mean, it's not, you don't live in a perfect world, you know, that much. (laughs) What songs individually do you, are you most proud of on this new record? Oh, that's hard. That is a tough one. Which one is, which one are the babies? I actually, my favorite is You, Me, and the Bourgeoisie. Um, that's just my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm proud of the whole record. I feel like we managed to put a nice little package together. Um, I agree. I think you mean the bourgeoisie for me is the one I feel most proud of. I think it was the hardest one too, in a way, wasn't it? Like, I mean, there were some challenges. It seemed like in New York. Yeah. I mean, I really I felt r- really really strongly that it needed to express something lyrically that um, I wanted to get out and not sound too preachy and not sound, you know, uh, 
I, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's actually hard to talk about it, as almost as hard as it was to write it. And I feel really happy that people seem to have picked up on what it's about. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people sort of get that there's a message of hope about it and acknowledgement that you know there are so many things. You know, socio, politically, environmentally, all these things that are sort of uh, written into the song. But hopefully, it comes across as like a song about kind of hope and love. And I, uh, so I guess I feel. I like the anti-consumerist element to it. Yes, yeah, definitely anti-materialist yeah, which, as well. You know, there's some irony in all there that. Is, yes, <laughs> there is. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I wasn't going to say anything, yeah. but no, yeah, we'll leave I don't it even. That. I think it's actually incredibly cool that it was chosen for an ad. When clearly, there's a smart guy behind the decision, right. and he must have seen the lyrics. And I think it's actually pretty great that he chose it, well, even though it is an instrumental. Instrumental. They took the lyrics out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So what's what's coming up next for you guys? Um, we're going back out on tour this fall. Um, we're doing some more dates with Amy Mann. We just did a short tour with her. Um, and that's on the East Coast. And we're looking uh, to go to Europe in the fall, uh, late fall. And the Detour Festival here oh, in yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, and the Detour Festival. Yeah. It's That'll October. That'll be cool. October, right? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Blake, John, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks Thank for you. having thanks us. Thanks yeah, a lot. that was great. Yeah, that was fun. Chris Bowman talked with The Submarines. Their new album is Honeysuckle Weeks. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. Your host this week was Chris Bowman. Our theme music, written and performed by Dan Grayson, with help from myself, Jesse Thorne. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. We wish Chris Bowman all the best as he heads to the frozen north, uh, his home, Toronto, Canada, to interview for a job as a copywriter and write on a Canadian children's television program. So uh, all the best to Chris Bowman. Thank you so much for all the hard work you've done, Chris. Uh, you can find us online at MaximumFun.org. And if you'd ever like to email me, you can email me directly. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. Hey, uh, I'm letting the cat out of the bag a little bit before the official announcement. But uh, if you happen to download this and you're actually listening to the whole outro here and you listen to the whole show that was hosted by uh, Chris the Intern, maybe you should visit MaxFunCon.com and see what you find. I'm just saying... Okay, we'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Maximum Fun.